You are listening to From the Midwest to the Middle East, the latest on U.S. tax, Israeli economy, and lots of in-between. Interviewing Israeli and international experts. Chicago, Chicago. Welcome to our podcast. I am Philip Stein, president of Philip Stein & Associates. I will show you Hi, I'm very happy today to have a, a guest, Fauzi Hussein, who's the director working with Alvalier Reimbursement and Product Commercialization Group and provides reimbursement analysis for new and evolving technologies across public and private payers. Fauzia works with clients on a range of topics, including therapeutic landscape assessments, product-specific coverage and coding issues, as well as policy positioning efforts. Additionally, Fauzi has spent more than 14 years focused on physician payment issues and heads up Avalier's efforts with physician specialty societies. Fauzi has also worked as a medical assistant. Fauzi, thank you for coming on today. Great. Thank you for having me. Okay. I think that, that you are uh, what I call, you're, you're behind the scenes of uh, a lot of exciting technology and uh, calling you from what is called Startup Nation with a lot of people who are in medical devices and uh, mm -hmm. uh, consumer products for the ultimate medical consumer. Uh, I think often we tend to focus on the, the product uh, or the technology, and maybe sometimes forget about uh, how you get paid for that. Okay, and 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 that certainly sure. seems to be your specialty. So let's uh, let's go to my first question, which is again, I said a lot in the intro, which people perhaps didn't understand. But could you explain <laughs> a little in layman's terms your work? Sure. So I work with life sciences customers. So we're thinking pharma, biotech, device small and large companies on their reimbursement and product commercialization strategies. So really focusing in on what is the therapeutic landscape, how are current or analogous technologies currently being reimbursed by payers, and then how can you position your product optimally in the marketplace to address the changing needs of the customer base here in the U.S. while also making sure that you're generating evidence that is um, insightful to clinicians as well as payers. How did the area you work in develop into a field? I mean, obviously, uh, doctors always wanted to get paid. Uh, people who sell medical devices, products always wanted to get paid. But obviously, it's a much more complicated landscape with, with the insurance industry, with Medicare, with Medicaid, with Obamacare. Um, so how, how does this field develop? Sure. So reimbursement has, has been around for some time when you're thinking about, you know, commercializing a product or a device. It's always been in the back of a manufacturer's mind in terms of I can develop the greatest technology. And of course, because it has such a great clinical value message, payers and providers are going to use it. That maybe was sort of the old system, the way that we used to look at the world in terms of, you know, the basics of coverage, coding, and payment. The world has, has evolved so that our payers are more sophisticated in making decisions about what do their patients or beneficiaries have access to. Clinicians are also more sophisticated in the type of information they want when making those decisions. So our field of reimbursement and product commercialization has really become more complex over time to meet those growing demands from payers as well as providers and patients. 
And then you add to that this layer of the Affordable Care Act or health reform implementation in the U.S., and it's just adding additional complexity because all of those individuals are now facing a changing coverage as well as payment and delivery landscape. So when we think about accountable care organizations or patient-centered medical homes, we see there's this shift in decision-making that manufacturers need to be aware of, particularly in specific markets that may affect um, access to products, particularly devices, where in our old world, clinicians typically had more of the control or the decision-making ability around devices. Now you're seeing the world shift where that control is seeping through to the hospital, and the hospital is taking on greater control on making those decisions. Patients are becoming more active and more aware of comparative effectiveness research that's available so that they can even drive the clinical discussion with hospitals as well as physicians. So it's definitely becoming more sophisticated over time. Okay. When I, when I think of companies that I work with, be it a pharma or a medical device or some other type of uh, medical technology that, that can be consumed, very often there's so much energy, obviously, into the R&D, the research and development. There's a lot of energy into the patents. There's a lot of energy into uh, clinical trials and FDA approval. Um, but could you give me an idea what type of company should be thinking about your service? Sure. So we work with a range of customers, whether they're small startup companies focused in on one type of product, and it can be a, you know, a technology such as a software application or remote monitoring uh, device. It could be an implantable device. We work with small all the way up to you know, the global top 10 uh, in terms of the range of our customers. I think that in terms of engaging our group to help you with your commercialization strategy, sooner the better. The earlier that you can take a look at the competitive landscape, the earlier that you can identify what are the key evidence or data points you're going to need to optimize success once you get FDA approval, I think is really, really critical. So we work with customers, you know, when they're moving from phase two to phase three clinical trials oftentimes. Um, from Startup Nation, oftentimes we will do earlier calls, sort of proof of concept calls, you know, which are I'm working on this technology or I'm thinking and in investing in this type of an application. You know, what do you think about the marketplace? Is this going to be viable in two to three years? What do I need to do to optimally position myself for success? And sometimes what we find is that, you know, you can have a really great idea and a really great technology, but the burden to show payers the clinical value of that technology is so high that it may not be worth pursuing or you need to plan better in terms of initial investments to make sure that you can carry through on the clinical trials that are going to need, be needed to support access. So FDA approval here in the U.S. is sort of the, the floor. It's no longer that once you get FDA approval, you're guaranteed to have coverage or you're guaranteed to have access. It really is just sort of you know, the starting, starting line, and you really need to have more than that to really have optimal success in the U.S. market. Well, that, that's really fascinating because I think typically the people I've met and worked with over the years are so focused on that FDA uh, yes. hur hurdle. And obviously it's, it's not an overnight process. It, it takes several years, but what, you're, what you've described to us, to me, is mm -hmm. that um, there, there's this other major moving part there Mm -hmm. And and I, I'm just wondering, you know, have you seen cases where 
uh, the, 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 the operation is a success, but the patient dies. In other words, that they, they got through the FDA or the product works, but then yep. the, the, on, the, on the reimbursement side, uh, the powers that be, the insurance industry, whatever, decided this is not something they're going to reimburse for. Yeah, I mean, we, we unfortunately see that all the time um, because, you know, payers have different evidentiary demands, and it really varies based on the therapeutic area. Maybe one good example we could think about is, you know, congestive heart failure and remote monitoring devices. Mm-hmm. There are a number of payer policies already in place here in the U.S that limit access to those types of technologies because the evidence has not been sufficient for majority of payers to cover that type of a technology. So going into that marketplace, it's good to know what are the evidentiary sort of standards that payers have already established. Now, again, this is above and beyond FDA approval, but you need to know what the payer perspective is so that you can make sure that you're generating the evidence to meet those needs. And if you are already in clinical trials to meet FDA sort of, you know, safety and efficacy metrics, then why not add on to that trial to meet the payer demands as well? So we see that happen fairly frequently. You know, and if you are entering into such a market where maybe there's already been, you know, previous devices or technologies in the space that have sort of muddied the water for you, so to speak, then you have to think more creatively about, what you can do to optimize success. Can you enter into risk-sharing arrangements between an accountable care organization or with a payer or with a large local community physician practice? Where are there opportunities for you to be creative then in your marketing and partnerships if you find that those evidentiary needs are so high that you may not be able to, to meet them immediately? Yes, yeah, so this this is certainly critical for... You know, I'm I'm thinking of the entrepreneur, and 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 when they're when they're doing their fundraising and their budgeting, uh, it seems to me that you you and your your group, your company have to have to really be involved at a very early stage, and, yeah. and constantly monitoring. Um, yeah, optimally, we like to get in as early as possible, just so that we can shape the evidence generation to meet those demands. But, you know, we work with customers who already have products that are FDA approved and are rethinking their commercialization strategy. Mm-hmm. You know, I've already, I'm already on the market, but what can I be doing differently to increase my success? So we work with customers um, at that phase of life cycle development as well. Yeah, that that's interesting that a company could succeed. They could get through. Uh, mm-hmm. They have a real good product, but maybe you're telling me that now – the, the market that you work with, the reimbursement side, uh, mm-hmm. is going to drive that, maybe ch- actually change that product uh, in such a way or, or pricing-wise uh, that will fit the reimbursement world. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it's important. I mean, and manufacturers, investors, developers spend a lot of you know, time and energy on that R&D process. But I think that oftentimes they do overlook the commercialization approach. What do they need to be, you know, prepared to discuss with consumers once they're FDA approved? I think that's really the, the critical part to sort of round out your overall product strategy. Yeah, I, I mean, this is just fascinating, and I just would add, it seems that, and again, it's what I tend to see uh, in the earlier stages. It's the scientists who are 
right. you know, they're running the company and they're focused and 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 they're they're all obviously in love with their products. Um, but there really should be someone in the business marketing also within the company at an early stage. Um, yeah, for the, for I would the, agree. For the reasons that you you what you're representing. Okay, let me let me shift it. it I know sure. it's you know it's looming. It's coming. We hear about it. Uh, most people call it Obamacare. You call it the uh, what the Affordable uh, the Affordable Care Act. Fair, yep. Affordable yep. Care the Act. ACA. Um, yep. How's that going to affect companies you work with? Um, I think it's going to have a a pretty big impact on all life sciences, you know, customers. You know, it already has in many cases and is going to continue to do so at least for the next five to maybe even ten years. So Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act, you know, we're in you know multiple years into implementation at this point. The effects of health reform here in the U.S. is already in the marketplace. We've already seen coverage expansion, so people who were previously uninsured getting access. In 2014, we're going to see even more uninsured individuals here in the U.S. get access to health care, which could drive utilization of services such as drugs, biologics, devices, et cetera. I mean, we, we are seeing those effects right now in the marketplace. And what we are watching and what we are predicting, trying to do is see where these changes that are happening right now, real time for us, how they're going to be shaping the market in, you know, that two-year window, three-year window, and five-year window. Um, there is an increased demand for evidence. So as I was talking previously, with payers demanding additional evidence beyond what the FDA requires, those demands are continuing to grow. But the type of evidence that payers are going to want to see in three to five years may be slightly different than what they want to see now. Um, so you have to keep that in mind as you think about product commercialization. We're also seeing a shift in how care is delivered here in the U.S. We are testing a number of different payment and delivery models, you know, accountable care organizations, uh, patient-centered medical homes, these more integrated delivery networks that are really shifting the risk onto providers. So when providers are actually being held accountable for their health expenditures as well as the quality of care that is being delivered, they tend to look at new technologies a little bit more carefully, and then they become more sophisticated consumers themselves. So you have to be mindful about how your customer base is changing and shifting in order to make sure you're meeting those needs. But I think with Obamacare, we're really looking at sort of key areas of focus, which is that coverage expansion, new patient populations. It's important to understand who these people are, what are their conditions, where is there an opportunity because they're sort of new entrants into the marketplace. There's going to be a continued focus on drug spend, device spend, healthcare spend overall. So what is the health economic value of your technology? Thinking about payment and delivery reform, shifting of that risk onto providers could shift the marketplace in terms of who you're targeting. It may have been the community doc, but maybe now you need to shift gears and focus in on the hospital. This whole idea of value-based purchasing is really going to change and evolve over the next few years, and it's really going to shape how care is delivered here in the U.S. Okay. Let's suppose for a moment, we'll just imagine the scene. I come with a client. We get in an airplane. We come. He mm -hmm. says, I got to go. I have to meet uh, this uh, director of Avalier. I've heard so much about Fauzi Hussein. Could you come with me? We get off the, we fly into New York. We take the train to D.C. Uh, and okay. we sit down with you and they say, here's our device. Uh, what do you tend to, those initial meetings, the you know, your initial advice to, to companies? 
Sure. So if we're looking at a new technology, one, I want to make sure that we understand the intricacies of the technology overall, sort of the overall uh, clinical value whether and all the different components of it because more and more what we're seeing is technology is getting more sophisticated. If you have remote monitoring, you're thinking about you know payment for the implantable device, you're thinking about payment for the uh, the app, the iPhone or smartphone app that's related to it, you're thinking about the physician service for the interpretation. One, we want to make sure that we really fully understand the technology. Then the next step is usually to take a look at the benefit category or how it would be covered here within the U.S. healthcare system. Is this a physician-administered or implanted product? Is this something that's done in the outpatient setting, in the inpatient setting? That's very important for us because the payment policies and coverage policies in the U.S. vary based on the setting of care in which a product um, is used. Then we'd want to take a look at the therapeutic landscape. Who are the current competitors? What are the current therapies? Where do you benchmark against those? Then we probably want to take a look at the payer landscape and see how are payers currently viewing similar technologies? What is that evidentiary threshold that you'll need to make in order to support coverage and payment by the insurers? I think that's kind of sort of the initial sort of landscape or assessment that we would want to do for, for our customer coming in into the door. Okay. So just the, in terms of that customer coming into the door, how, how big does an enterprise have to be to use Avalier's services? Um, it can be any size, so that's a great question. We work with startup companies with, you know, one to two individuals, um, again, up to sort of the global leaders in, in the marketplace. So any size company is welcome at any point of their development, you know, that proof of concept, you know, initial as you're thinking about a new technology versus my product's already been on the market for five or years or even 10 years and I'm looking to, you know, re-enter the marketplace or course correct my strategy. So we work with a range, range of individuals. Okay. I, I think for me what I've taken from this con short conversation we've had is that uh, no one can go plan either a product or a device or some pharma today without this being very high on the agenda in terms of how they're going to get paid and and who will pay and if they'll pay and and and, <laughs> yeah. and you know and, and and how the landscape may change that you know because of competition you're telling me that this the whole medical delivery system at least in the United States is is really if it wasn't a business before this is really going to be driven by market forces and someone who uh, you know can make the the better mouse trap at a cheaper price is is certainly going to get the business right and then who can who can really um, have a really great value message platform for that new mouse trap because sometimes it's the evidence that you have and how you can shape it to meet a consumer's needs I think that's going to be critical so let's say it's that advertising campaign that goes with that new mouse trap is just as critical as the mouse trap itself. Okay, so for my listeners who uh, mm -hmm. suddenly have gotten a great deal of education in our short call, uh, they want to reach out to you, how, how could they be in touch with you? Sure, so Avalier, we are a strategic advisory firm that's headquartered here in Washington, D.C., but we do have an office in Israel as well, and you can contact my colleague, Debbie Garner, um, in our Israel office, and her local number is 54 Nine four five six two six zero. 
you can also email Debbie at D-G-A-R-N-E-R, that's dgarner at avalierhealth, A-V-A-L-E-R-E, health, that's one word, dot net. You can always reach me as well. My email address is F as in Frank, Hussein, H-U-S-S-A-I-N, that's one word, at avalierhealth, again, one word, dot net. And my local number here in the U.S. is 202-207-3802. And we, you know, one of the things still that I want to let you know is, is that we focus primarily here on the U.S. healthcare system, but we understand the evidence and innovation for global um, projects as well. So we've completed a number of international assignments um, focused in on the medical device and drug space um, for other markets as well. Well, I want to thank you for taking time from your busy day, uh, helping to educate me and my listeners. And uh, we look forward to hearing more about your your field and more about uh, your own personal work. Thank you very much, Fauzia. Great. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed our podcast. Feel free to visit us at www.peacestein.com or look for Philip Stein Associates on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Goodbye.